to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. This is your host, Kurt Sumner, with NSPS Radio Hour. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm hesitant to say somewhat that my actually five guests who were going to be joining me today have not called in. Uh, I've been communicating with them by, via email and, and on telephone, actually, through last week. Um, and I thought they were going to be here this morning at 11. I'm not sure any of them are in the eastern time zone. Yeah, I guess one is. John Hamilton's in Pittsburgh. So some are in, on the west coast but and some in the middle of the country. So I'm a little perplexed, David, as to where, where my guests are this morning. Well, What we were going to talk about, <laughs> by the way, um, is something called the geodesic mission to the equator, which occurred in the 18th century um, by a group from, uh, from Europe. And the work that they did, uh, it was a French and Spanish group, and then it's all about where the, where the equator lies, of course, in, in Ecuador, and what that means to the world and, and those kind of things. And these guys all went on a mission down there um, it, within the past year. And uh, back in August of seven, or uh, uh, not the article's August seventeenth, not the not the expedition that they went on. So, well, I was hoping to have them on the air so we could talk about uh, this mission that they followed up on uh, from from back a couple hundred years ago, or actually, I guess right at right at a couple hundred years ago. But so far, nobody's joined me, so. I'm not sure where we go from here other than if you and I want to try to keep an hour alive just chatting back and forth about whatever happens to come to mind. <laughs> well, <laughs> one, I, I one thing you. about this mission that was pretty cool, though, and one of the reasons we at NSPS are interested in it, is uh, they were allowed to place a, a brass disc there at the site, and, uh, and the disc actually has um, National Society of Professional Surveyors on it. You know, so maybe maybe it's a situation of dates, and they're all outside looking at the sun, thinking that the eclipse is today. <laughs> that that may be true. I don't know. Uh, speaking of the eclipse, I, I I know I've been hearing all about that. And actually, I was having dinner with a guy from Salem, Oregon, a month or so ago, and apparently it, it comes right across where he lives. And I've seen their trajectory coming across the country. Um, I don't know. If you've even had guests talking about it or anything or not but that's that's a a big deal uh obviously although i suppose where i live we're not going to see much of the effects of it and i know it streaks down kind of through south carolina but if i looked at the map right i think it's kind of north and then east of atlanta does that make sense yeah a little bit north but uh supposedly we're supposed to have a, a pretty good look at it i i you know this is Probably the second that will have occurred in the 30-some-odd years that I've been married. I remember the it, – it's a very eerie – to me, it was a very eerie thing. This would have been in like 1983, 80, 81, 82, 83, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, but it was very strange, and, and I assume – this one will be too when you don't really get total darkness you just get you know just get the a very gray dark sky and and gray is not even the right word 
to describe it. But um, I'm sure there'll be some werewolves out howling at the sun or something. Yeah, I was when I was looking at the map the other day. I was I hadn't really paid that much attention to it to tell you the truth because I knew it wasn't going to affect here in any big way. Um, and but I noticed uh, some of the cities that are on the on the path. Like it goes across Nashville, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so it's just sort of an, an interesting pers- uh, perspective, I guess, or an interesting phenomenon that this is occurring and will uh, mean a lot to a lot of people. I guess there will be folks out there that will portend that it's the end of the world, <laughs> or have already started. And uh, you know, I'm 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 not going to knock them either. I I don't. Yeah, they may be right. <laughs> well, it, it was like uh, it was like a, I was just doing a show, and we were talking, or I was talking about a guy named um, Peter Vincent Pry, and uh, folks really ought to take the time to look it up. He, he's uh, interesting fellow that uh, says, you know, while North Korea is talking about missiles, well, uh, we should be more concerned about the two satellites that they put up. Uh, about four years ago that are con- constantly crossing the United States, and I'll leave it at that. Um, you know, one thing that I, I found interesting, that, that I'm, I'm, I find it even more interesting almost daily because stuff's coming out with it, and that's the... Hey, uh, yeah, I don't think One anybody... of my guests just called in and said he had tried to get in, but for some reason it didn't work, so... If you'll excuse me for a second, I'll make sure he's got the right numbers. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think that's the I think it's him and not the. Obviously, yeah. it's working. Anyway, uh, right. is the influence of drones? And uh, you had a, a guest on not too long ago that was talking about drones and the effect of drones on our society is is going to be absolutely incredible. We're just, in my opinion, just at the tip of the iceberg, and particularly for surveyors. Um, and I love surveyors. I, I think surveyors are, I, I've mentioned this before, I think surveyors are last of the cowboys and first of the new inventors. And uh, it's sort of like when they're out doing something, uh, when, they're, when they're surveying a line or whatever, they, uh, if the need calls for it, they'll figure out a way to answer that call. And I think what surveyors are doing both inland and even over lakes, water, so forth and so on, with drones is just really at the tip of the iceberg. And I feel like uh, the drones are going to play a bigger and bigger part of a surveying firm's organization that that to be hired by a surveying company and be on a crew, it may require that you have uh, a license to fly a a drone. And I think uh, it won't be that long that uh, drone information will be sent directly back to, uh, to your home office. Questions will be asked from the home office. I, I don't know. I don't have, don't know where it's going, but I know it's going to be very interesting, and the drones will play a bigger and bigger part, bigger role. In David, I'm back. And you are, and I just and did a dissertation on drones. 
<laughs> well, it seems as though the number that got out to everybody wasn't the correct number, and it's not. I sent them the wrong stuff, so that's the reason. <laughs> that's what happens when you're in a hurry. Well, so looked. I'll send this email back out to everybody. A couple of the guys are going to join us here in just a minute or so. Okay. okay. Well, and there's one right now. Is that Ken or John? Yeah, I was just, John just called in. Apparently, I, I sent everybody to the wrong numbers, which is, I sent them my conference line this morning. I had sent the numbers earlier, but uh, when I resent it this morning, I, I gave them the wrong numbers. So that explains why everybody's late. <laughs> and and I'm the pro. Okay, well, good. good. I figured that was the problem with that. So we're waiting for John then, or? Yeah, John should be on here shortly. He's going to call in the, the right. new number. Okay, Ken, are you yes, on a, uh, is Ken on a, uh, on a um, handheld, or is, is he on a uh, speakerphone? I'm on a mobile phone. A cell phone? Yeah. Okay. okay. Having a little bit of trouble bringing you in. Okay. But we'll live with it. So if yeah, every, everybody can get a rock and throw it at Kurt, I guess, for uh, sending out the wrong number. Not not that any of us has never made a mistake before. I know I, know I never have. So. No, I never did. Uh, well, see, I'm going to blame all this on the fact that all of last week or most of last week, I was in um, Orlando uh-huh. at, the, at the Disney facility moving ahead with a, um, trying to get a plan going for a conference, the the international FIG conference that we want to sponsor in 2022. Oh, great. And so I'm, I'm, my story is that... I'm in La La Land today because of that. <laughs> I thought I thought maybe you and uh, Minnie Mouse or something uh, went and had cocktails. Or... Yeah, well, I, I, that might have happened, but if it did, I've forgotten that too. <laughs> so, <laughs> and and what, what is this? What's this show about? Then? Well, John was going to call in. Uh, I just talked to him on the phone, and I'm sending a message out to Mark. He had caught, he had sent me an email. And okay. Rich has sent me an email. So, so it's just you and me then? or So far it's just you and me, yeah. Okay. And oh, we'll I'm be right on schedule maybe when everybody else gets here to, to go into our second segment. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, just so hang. we'll just hang on here, and, and we've got a couple minutes before the break, so maybe you want to preface a little bit what, the, what our uh, – our topic is going to be about just for people and sh- just tell them in a short thing here what we're going to be talking about. Well, basically, in uh, John Miner, about a year ago, he read a book called Major of the Earth, The Enlightenment Expedition That Reshaped Our World by Larry B. Ferrero. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. And uh, anyway, he read that book, and, and I think Gavin Schrock read that book, 
and then a couple of us others read it, and we decided Hello? it'd be. Cool. Yep, Hello? somebody just somebody just joined us. John Miner. Hey, John. I've, I've, I'm on the line uh, uh, right now, and it's uh, we're waiting for other folks to come in. Okay. I thought I heard Although, Ken there for a minute. Yeah, Ken is on. It's him and me. And we're we're almost to the end of the first break, so we'll we will pick up from there uh, when more people can come on, and at least we've got you two here, so we can progress as we go ahead. So um, Ken was beginning to talk a little bit about the the trip and how it all got started and your contact with everybody. Kurt, let's or, go or ahead and contact you. Let's go ahead and take that break, and we'll be back uh, with you right after uh, right after the break. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, welcome back to what would have normally been the second part of our show today, but since I messed up and gave everybody the wrong call-in numbers, uh, the first part you heard David and me talking about a variety of topics, and now I actually have the real guest here. So my apologies to all of you guys that I sent you the wrong numbers. Uh, just one of those old age things, I guess. But as of this moment, I have John Miner, Ken Bays, Mark Armstrong, and Richard Liu on the line with me. And I think John Hamilton was going to join us, but I haven't seen an email from John yet telling me he may be still on the other line somewhere. I don't know, but hopefully not. So um, at the end of our, our first segment, uh, Ken had begun to talk a little bit about the the project and what it was all about. So, John, I'll turn it over to you at this point and and you can sort of reiterate maybe what he was saying because we only had a minute or two there anyhow. But talk about the project and how it got started and what what drove you guys to do this thing and, and then talk about the, the, the project itself and bring everybody else into the conversation. Okay. Yeah, I didn't hear what Ken had said, but I'll just start off. 
the whole thing kind of started back in about oh, 2013. Uh, I read the book uh, Measure of the Earth by Larry Ferrario, and uh, I hope I spelled it or pronounced his name right. I don't know if I did or not, but anyways. Um, and I thought, you know, it'd be cool to, to go down there and, and see some of the sites that uh, they mentioned in the book. And uh, so I, I was actually, at that time, my uh, wife and I were uh, uh, part of the AFS uh, high school exchange program, and they offer an opportunity to put the groups together and go down and, and do homestay. And so I started that route first, and, and that didn't really pan out. And uh, so... Uh, a couple of years went by, and about oh, probably about uh, 2015, uh, Gavin Schrock uh, posted on the RPLS.com uh, that uh, uh, he had read the book, and, and I thought, well, that's pretty cool. So I uh, posted back to him and said, yeah, I read that too, and wouldn't it be neat to get a bunch of surveyors together and, and go down there and see some of the stuff that's mentioned in the book? And uh, Rich Liu was on the board too, and he he jumped in and said, yeah, that'd be cool. Count me in if you guys put something together. And uh, so we kind of started snowballing, and and uh, we at one time we had about 15 people signed up to go, uh, included uh, Dave Doyle, Michael Dennis, and some others. And, and Dave had to back out, though, because uh, uh, he was getting married, and he had to decide whether to get married or go with us. And it was a close decision, but uh, he ended up deciding to get married instead of going with us. So, so you know, I, I don't want to interrupt you too much, John. But knowing Dave, and you know, he works under that uh, that base nine uh, geodesy thing because of his loss of his fingers. So maybe he was counting on his fingers to see which way to go, and he, he just ran out of fingers or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we lost not having him with us because it would have been a great addition. But uh, oh gosh, yeah, I would say so. But uh, it was. Uh, um, Unfortunately, he didn't get to go. And so once we finally got the group set up with uh, uh, Mark Armstrong and Ken Bays and Rich Lou and, and John Hamilton and Ken uh, Gavin uh, Schrock, uh, who actually ended up having to drop out in the end, but uh, uh, we had a, kind of our core group there, then we started putting things together. And, and uh, so the first thing we had to decide on was when we were going to go. And we tossed it around a little bit, thought about maybe the, uh, going during the solstice, and then we checked the weather and thought, well, the weather's not so great about that time. So we decided, well, we finally decided to go in May. And uh, so uh, put that together and, and uh, decided on May 15th through the 25th. And uh, we also decided we didn't want to stay in a real modern Americanized motel and so I started looking around on, on some of the travel books, and, and Lonely Planet suggested the, uh, the Hotel San Francisco de Quito. And so I, I checked it out, and it turns out that the motel was there uh, in existence at the same time that the uh, French expedition was there in the 1700s. But uh, they never stayed there, but uh, it was there in existence at that time. And it turned out to be a really nice motel. It had a big courtyard and, and with flowers hanging all around in it and uh, a, a little bit eclectic type of place, but uh, it was a real nice nice motel. And uh, so we stayed there, and it was really, really uh, uh, cost-effective. And, and we they had breakfast, but the breakfast was down in an old dungeon down below the, the motel. It was fixed up real nice, but uh, it was formerly the, 
an old uh, dungeon for the for the motel, and or not for the motel, but for for prisoners. And uh, so, uh, so then we started thinking, okay, now we've got our our departure date, and we've got our motel secured, and and uh, so I thought, well, maybe I can find somebody down there that uh, can act as a, a, a geodesy guide for us, and and I found a. a, a a lady named uh, Tanya Mayorga Torres at the uh, Central University of Ecuador there in Quito. And uh, so I mentioned that to Gavin. And uh, so Gavin contacted her, and they originally were going to work with us and be part of the, part of the expedition. And, and, but in, in the end, they ended up uh, not participating with us but, uh, for, for their own reasons. But uh, uh, that was our loss, but it uh, uh, worked out. And then um, one of the, we decided one of the major goals we wanted to do was was set a monument on the equator, someplace down there on the equator near Quito. And uh, there's a, a big kind of real touristy uh, monument down there called uh, Mitad del, del Mundo, and it just means the middle of the earth. Uh, but it turns out that's actually about 300 meters off of the equator. So uh, there was another little kind of a little uh, museum that was actually much closer to the equator down there, and we were going to do it there. And so Gavin was working on trying to put that together, and uh, wasn't really getting too far with it. And so uh, we also contacted a, a guide down there. Mark Armstrong suggested a, a guide service for some day trips out of Quito, and uh, I was talking to the guide and telling him what we wanted to do, and. Uh, he happened to know another guy down there that uh, uh, was a kind of a uh, called himself. Uh, let's see, what did he call himself? Uh, a uh, art. Oh shoot, I got it written. Uh, I got it written down here someplace. Um, Archaeoastronomer. Oh, yeah, archaeoastronomer. That's what it was. And he knew all about equator stuff, including uh, some actually uh, some uh, pre-Incan uh, sites that were uh, located on the equator. And uh, so we got in contact with him and uh, uh, went to visit his, his sundial he had, which was actually on the equator. Uh, due to plate tectonics, it's moved about five centimeters, but uh, it's still right on the equator. And so he was gracious enough to give us a tour and, and, and talk all about uh, stuff related to the equator with us. He gave us a wonderful lunch. Um, his wife makes jams and jellies and syrups out of uh, out of agave syrup, and, and so we all sampled that and and brought some home for gifts. And uh, uh, so uh, we actually ended up setting our our monument right on the sundial, and the sundial is about oh, about 200 meters across, and so it's a huge huge installation. And we set it up. Uh, it's all kind of has a bunch of cobblestones on top of it. And so my idea was to set the monument out on the perimeter of this cobblestone 200-meter uh, diameter circle. And he said, oh, no, 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 we'll put it right here. So we put it right, almost right in the middle of the, of the sundial. He got his crew out there with uh, uh, picks and shovels, and they, they popped the cobblestones out and dug down a little bit and, and ended up setting the monument. And uh, Bernstein was gracious enough to... Uh, uh, donate the monument that we set, and then they gave us each a, a commemorative monument to go along with it. And uh, so we set the monument uh, right there on the equator, and Hemisphere uh, uh, GNSS uh, 
uh, was gracious enough to sponsor us for that day, and, and uh, they, they made some measurements, and I think they'll probably be on one of your later shows and talk about the, uh, their, their product and, and their effort in, in relation to the, to the uh, expedition we did. And uh, so we, uh, we set the monument, and then uh, a couple days later, uh, a, uh, embassy people from the American embassy were touring and just happened to stop there at the sundial and, and uh, uh, Cristobal pointed out our monument to them and, and explained everything that had happened. And, uh, and oh, I also should mention that uh, Cristobal's family owns the uh, motel that the actual 1700s French expedition stayed in uh, at, the, at the time that they were there. And so we actually saw that the, the uh, motel that they stayed in, at least for part of their expedition, they stayed in. And so that was pretty cool. And uh, uh, so we also uh, had a tour to uh, the IGM facilities, which stands for the, the uh, Instituto Geografico uh, Militar. And it's very, very similar to our, our NGS organization here in the States. And so they gave us a, a wonderful tour. We spent a couple hours there uh, where they showed us all their, their facilities and, and talked about projects that the, they've been doing in Quito. And uh, it was very, very impressive. And it was kind of funny. Uh, after they talked for a little while there in the conference room, and uh, uh, we were going to talk about our experiences and backgrounds. And so Ken went first. And so he started talking, but uh, he kind of forgot to stop a little bit and, and let the the interpreter interpret for the other folks. So Mark Armstrong kind of tugged him on the arm and said, hey, Ken, slow down and let the interpreter say something here. So we all kind of <laughs> laughed at that and, and uh, uh, kind of relieved a lot of the tension in the room, or, and we all just relaxed quite a bit. And, and so uh, we had a really good time. Uh, we did end up going to the, the real touristy Mitad del Mundo uh, on one of our last, our last day, but uh, uh, it worked out really good. And we had some, a wonderful guide down there, that uh, uh, Santiago Salazar, and uh, he he couldn't I couldn't say say enough good things about uh, Santiago. He he was a wonderful guide, very knowledgeable in, in uh, animals and plants and and history history and and so we just had a wonderful time. And that's kind of a synopsis of the of the trip. And I know the other guys have got their personal experiences they'd like to talk about too. Well, as it turns out, we are. Um just about a minute from our next break, so you timed that really, really well. <laughs> uh, and so, but there are a lot of interesting things you mentioned there as we're going through. I was just making some notes, and uh, it just sounds like everything. Who was it in a famous movie said, "I love it when a plan comes together." Uh, sounds like that's sort of the way it worked for you guys, and and just it's amazing to me as you were talking about visiting sites that were there. And functioning when the when the the group first came there from from Europe and to just in in our world it's it's hard to imagine anything lasting and continuing to function that long. I, I was I was taken back by that to, by the fact that that was still the case. So maybe maybe you may want to follow up on that a little bit too when we come back. Uh, I don't know, but certainly we'll want to hear perspectives from from everybody else as we go on through the show. So. Let's go take that break, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Quick stakes. 
is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's q-u-i-k-s-t-a-k-e dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear all of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on itunes you can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, Visit LibertyOnCall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We are back with our, our group of hardy surveyors who went off to Ecuador to set a mark on the equator um, and it's kind of interesting, as you were talking, John, about how the group all sort of came together and um, and decided to go. And uh, I, it, I think it's remarkable, really, that that you were all able to do that and and spend the time to go there. And uh, I know you talked about placing the mark. And and when we were on break, you were talking a little bit about what what took place to to put you where. where where the mark was set, and I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit more or not, but I'd love to hear everybody else's perspectives on on the trip as well. So uh, if you want to lead back in with that a little bit, that's fine, and then we can go to whoever wants to go next. We can have Rich or, or Ken or Mark or whomever. Okay. I'll uh, just give a brief uh, thumbnail of, of uh, setting the monument. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned, Gavin Schrock uh, actually designed the monument and made contact with uh, Bernston to – uh, see if they were interested in, in uh, helping us with the monumentation, and and they graciously, uh, uh, readily agreed to it, and uh, provided us all with with uh, commemorative monuments for keepsakes, and as well as a, a monument to set down there. And the sundial, like I said, was about 200 meters across, and uh, they already had the equatorial line marked on the sundial, and. Uh, the, uh, so we uh, set hemispheres uh, receiver up on on the line that they had for the equator to, to verify the equatorial position, and then John Hamilton also brought uh, Trimble R10, and he did the same thing and set it up a, a couple feet away from from the hemisphere receiver on the on the line, and then reduced it down 
and uh, determined that uh, we were within about five centimeters of the equator, and then uh, through some ge geodetic methods de determined uh, that uh, there had been about five centimeters of plate tectonics take place. So at the time the sundial was, was established, it was right on the equator, but due to plate tectonics, it's, it's moved about five centimeters now. So uh, we're actually on the equator, uh, well, uh, on the historical point for the equator. I, I, I know I want to hear from, uh, from Ken and Mark and Rich, too, and I don't know who may want to take this next thing, but in looking at the picture of where you all were standing uh, on the sundial, um, maybe somebody could, uh, maybe maybe Rich, I don't know if you're the right person to do this. Talk about how big that sundial was. I mean, as the people are listening to us on the on the radio, they probably won't have much sense of how big that thing is. Well, yeah, it was, uh, as, as uh, John said, it's what, probably 200 meters. If you have the article in the, uh, the Excite magazine or XYHT, however they prefer to have that pronounced now, uh, on the on the first page of the article, there's a kind of a panoramic picture of that, and you can see that it's uh, it's a big installation. Uh, it's all made out of cobblestone. Uh, they have a, a what what I guess would be called the gnomon of the sundial, but the the pointer is a, just a big orange tower in the middle of it, and uh, uh, has uh, uh, Cristobal has done a lot of work, as, as John mentioned, about the uh, pre-Incan uh, cultures and, and has uh, uh, recreated uh, uh, several uh, versions of uh, Incan sundial or, or astronomic lines on that uh, in that plaza. Uh, one of the interesting things he mentioned to me, and I don't know if he did to the others, uh, if you look at the picture, you, you'd have to see the picture to understand it, but some of the cobblestones are dark in color. Some are light in color. The lines are marked out with lighter colored cobblestone. And uh, Cristobal said that was done on purpose because that makes them visible to the satellites, uh, who do the, uh, which do the infrared imagery, uh, because when the sun's out, both the black stones heat up and the white ones don't. And then the infrared camera can... can those lines on the ground. Yeah, I noticed that in the picture. I was curious about what what the design was supposed to to represent. Yeah, it, it's not spelled out in the in the article, uh, but those are uh, recurring images in Indian cultures throughout the world, apparently. And uh, uh, his his position is that those are based on solar observations and and such, uh, and the images recur in their art, and uh, and so he's rec recreated that on the ground. And and uh, the, you know the implication is that they were aware of uh, the concept of, of the equator, for example, uh, at that time, apparently. Right. You know that in addition to to being there and going through this this exercise, and that had to be for all of us surveyor types. That you know that's kind of like the Holy Grail to be able to do something like that somewhere in the world. Uh, but but I suspect that probably getting there and orchestrating, getting everybody there, probably is its own story maybe. I don't know, Mark, did, was, how, how did you guys all collect, collectively go? Did you meet someplace here and all fly together, or how did that work? 
Well, all, all of us in Oregon flew together, and then, um, you know, uh, Rich and, and John, of course, they're a different part of the country. So um, we, we kind of did all meet at, at, at the airport in Quito that night. All the planes uh, kind of come in uh, around the same time. It was kind of late, uh, maybe 11 o'clock, uh, 11 uh, um, p.m. In, in the evening. Um, and, and I'll speak to the elevation. Quito's quite high. It's it's around 10,000 feet, but very, very mountainous. The Andes run right down through the center of Ecuador. And in our tours, we were able to get pretty high at, at the at the volcano Cotopaxi. We we uh, drove quite high, but then hiked to uh, about 16,000 feet uh, to the climate hut, and um, of course Ken is the climber of the bunch. He, he was way ahead, um, and uh, so that was quite fun. And and we saw condors, and it, 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 the wildlife is incredible, particularly birds. Um, uh, but 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 quite but quite high and hilly, and so anytime you're walking anywhere, you're breathing pretty hard. So was your you were talking about the trips. You were you were at the site itself for how long, and then how far away did you go for for your trips up into the mountains? We took day we took four well I guess maybe five day trips, uh, um, including to the sundial um, with our guide, uh, and our guide furnished us a, a van and a driver, uh, and they were they were all day long day trips. Um, you know, and typically we'd drive an hour to to a couple hours to a particular place, and some of these were cloud forest reserves, um, where, where wildlife and birds were spectacular, and um, plants. and And our guide Santiago knew knew the names of it, of everything, uh, and spoke quite 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 good English. And so, uh, just fantastic, uh, fantastic guide. Like John said, we couldn't have had a a better person to show us around and really get a good flavor of the entire country, not just. Quito, the city, which is which is gigantic in itself. It's a very strung out city down through the mountains. So it's about 50 miles north south, um, not very wide, and it has about two million people in there. So it's um, and, and quite you know parts of it are quite old and um, um, it, it, it's significant air pollution, um, but it does seem to rain every day in the middle of the afternoon, which tends to clean things out a bit. So. Um, so, and when you guys were visiting the the mountainous site, the mountain sites, were what was the the process of going? How far up the mountains were you able to go? I know some. I think there, Rich, Rich maybe mentioned that one of them was sixteen thousand feet or something. I'm assuming you weren't at the summit of that thing. No, Cotopaxi was is nineteen thousand five hundred to the summit, and uh, because it's there's forty three active volcanoes in Ecuador, and that was one of them. And so they only let you go so high. Um, and so that was basically the 16,000 feet level is about snow line, um, you know, there on the equator. And so it's, that's as high as they, they let people go, which was, which was high enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, at 16,000 feet, the air's starting to get thin already, I, I imagine. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it was uh, it's a challenge uh, hiking that high, yeah. but the, but the trail was nice. I mean, it was, it was a wonderful experience for sure. Um, and and uh, seeing condors, uh, I think we saw condors several different days, a couple different days anyway. 
um, saw juveniles and, and even a baby condor, and uh, our guide really knew where all that stuff was. So um, that, that's pretty spectacular. There's a, only 114 uh, Andean condors in Ecuador, so it's uh, pretty special to get the opportunity to see them. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. I don't know, Ken, uh, that even just hiking up uh, a trail going up that high seems like a, an awful big exercise to me. I, I, is Ken with us still? Yeah, I'm Ken here. Was, okay, Hi, <laughs> sorry. Here. I've just been listening to everyone. It sounds like a good trip. So, uh, yeah, I think everyone's covered everything pretty good. Um, we... Uh, I guess what impressed me a lot is a bunch of surveyors coming together like that, and thanks to Gavin Schrock for making all the connections for us with Bernstein and, and SPS and stuff, and thanks to NSPS. And it really is a good thing to do those trips. For all the fun we had, I think it was really valuable when we did visit the Instituto Military Geographic down there, their equivalent of NGS. They were very warm, very sincere. They showed us a short video on their organization and another short video on their reaction to the uh, big earthquake they had. I think it was in April 2016, and how valuable geodetic response positioning, instant damage assessments, photogrammetry, LIDAR, and stuff are to a society, and and it shows how connected we are in our profession worldwide. Um, so I think just in that regard, I was very moved professionally, and I think it was a really good thing to do. And we just had a lot of fun doing it, and then all the side trips, too. So. Yeah, that that made for quite an adventure, I can see, and we're we're a minute away from our last break. So, But I, I was curious, maybe when we come back, uh, um, whomever wants to weigh in or everybody can weigh in about the techniques and technologies and all the kind of things that that go into what the kind of work that we do as surveyors and where we stand here in the U.S. Uh, and I'm sure obviously many places around the world in terms of the most up-to-date of everything. I was, I was just curious. Uh, I made an assumption that that was probably the case there as well. Uh, but, of course, I don't know that for sure. So maybe when we come back that somebody can, can chat about that a little bit. And uh, and then anything we've missed in, in the segments that we've had so far, I want to be able to make sure that you guys get an opportunity to, to chat about whatever it is about the, the journey that you want to chat about, and, and maybe I've missed out on that. So when we come back, maybe we can focus on that part a little bit and, uh, and for the final segment. Let's go to break. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, 
Easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. During the break, we were talking about a couple of things we want to make sure we cover here in the last segment, and Mark and Ken are going to talk some about the the technical geodetic side and the equipment there, and, and Rich has a couple of things he wants to talk about. But uh, I think, Ken, as we were coming back, you were starting to say something, and then we had to come back on the air. So I'll just start with you. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was talking right before the break on how impressed I was, you know, working with surveyors in the other nations and stuff, and uh, we visited the Institute Geographic Militaire, their equivalent of the NGS, and really a professional organization. They are really state-of-the-art uh, down there. And we were impressed. They gave us several slideshows, and we had interpreters, but that's the nice thing about working as a surveyor or a geodesist. We didn't need interpreters for a lot of that stuff. They're showing us their real-time active control networks, their passive control networks, their LIDAR and all the stuff they're doing. So it, in a way, it's an international language surveying the same thing. I did a job in Romania uh, working with NGS and BLM way back, and, and we went out. I didn't even speak the language and didn't have an interpreter, and we ran levels. No problem. I could run levels because it's an international language, you know, <laughs> out there. So I was really impressed with the level of the geodesy there and just the genuine warmth they had at the Institute Geographic military and that's really all i have to say mark now just before mark comes on was was that located where you were or did those folks come or did you go to them oh well we went to their headquarters okay in in keto and and i don't know if it got mentioned but they had originally set the monument at the sundial equator site they had their institute geographic military monument also on that equator line so so now we got two monuments on that line or two marks of the the old one and then the new one that we set right so yeah we just visited them keto and that all came about kind of <laughs> at the last day you know but again it was thanks to gavin and then john hamilton speaking spanish that was really great <laughs> and Professionally, it was very satisfying to me to work with surveyors from around the world and around the states. That's all I have to say. Mark? Uh, yeah, I, I should mention that while we were at the, at the Institute there, uh, they, they presented us with a, with a really cool book of, uh, uh, and, and maps of, uh, of, of Ecuador um, in, in, the, in 3D. Uh, they had 3D glasses in them and uh, very, very high-tech uh, printing, um, and, and also like before we left, uh, we they took photos of our group and with them, and and John uh, presented um, Colonel Delgado um, with with one of the with one of our marks that uh, that Bernstein provided. Um, so that that was really cool. So we got some pictures of that, and all of that is in the uh, XYHT article too. So surveyors want to go 
they'll get that. They, they can see the pictures. Yeah, that article just came out. This Was it this month? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I knew it was, it was a new article. Well, Rich, you had something you want to talk about about process? Uh, well, yeah. Um, in the book, um, there were, what, maybe a dozen main characters in that 1735 expedition. Uh, my hero is a guy named Theodore Hugo, who was kind of their uh, uh, instrument maker, and uh, they ran a triangulation network. Uh, if I remember right, I think it was uh, three degrees of latitude, so fairly long network. And towards the end, then the, the uh, they had to measure the astronomic locations of the ends of their lines. They were using uh, Orion Epsilon, the star Epsilon Orion, um, and they were using their, uh, they had a 12-foot zenith sector. And in order to do this correctly, they needed to measure both ends at the same time. So they said to this guy, we need another zenith sector, make us one. And I have a fairly... A relatively sophisticated machine shop in my basement. If someone said to me, make a Zenith sector, I would have no idea. But I mean, he had to grind lenses, he had to uh, cut uh, uh, fine uh, um, micrometer gear uh, uh, assemblies and things like that in the middle of nowhere, Ecuador. And I just, it amazes me that he was able to do that. And he actually did it more than once. He made two or three of these instruments on the spot. Uh, which to me is mind-boggling, really. Uh, the other thing was, uh, uh, I think it was the day after, the two days after we were at Kipato, uh, which is the sundial, uh, we were at one of the, you know, one of the cloud forest uh, expeditions, and we met a group uh, in the parking lot. <coughs> excuse me, at, uh, uh, a man from the diplomatic corps, U.S. diplomatic corps, and his wife, and if I recall, I think it was his wife's parents. And we were talking, and they said, well, yeah, if you're looking for something really interesting to do, you should go to this place, this sundial place. Uh, someone just set a monument there the other day. And we said, yes, we know. <laughs> <It was> not... <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, so... So your your work was recognized right away. Right away. Yep. That's that's pretty interesting. Well, we've got uh, six or seven minutes left, so um, be well, sure anybody who wants to talk further. I'd be interested in, in what the groups decided their next adventure is going to be. Well, <laughs> well, this is Ken. Maybe I can say something real before that, John. But the other thing that impressed me about the trip uh, was how much the general society knew about this 1736 expedition to determine the shape of the earth. We figured that the IGN, the Institute of Military Geographic, of course they would know about it, but even in the museums downtown, an art museum, they had a poster up on the Condamine expedition in 1736. You went through the, uh, they have an old astronomical observatory there with some information, but uh, I think uh, John mentioned the uh, what we call the fake equator site, the Metad del Mundo. It's where all the tourists go because it's close to Quito. And it's not exactly on the equator. It's about 200 feet off or 200 meters, I can't remember. But they have a very good museum 
just a, a whole uh, big room about the 1736 expedition, and they have statues there of all the expedition members. So uh, it's very important. That expedition was very important to the identity of Ecuador, and that that actually surprised me a little bit. So that was kind of cool, and that's all I have to say. Well, we're uh, a little over five minutes from the from Evan to close out, so I'm going to turn this back over to John, and then if you want to talk a bit more, but I want to make sure I thank you all for being with me today and for your patience and diligence with my mess up in sending you the wrong numbers and my uh, uh, craziness from last week, but uh, we finally got got you on the show, and that was the most important thing, to hear this really exciting story. I mean, I, you can almost feel the adventure as you're talking about it, so thank you all so much for joining me. And so, John, um, what else do we need to know? Well, uh, a few little anecdotes, maybe. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, uh, oh, having a senior moment here, I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> um, the, oh, I know, the... Um, uh, the group that we met from the embassy uh, was kind of interesting because uh, they told us that uh, uh, our motel was within about a block or two of where they were going to inaugurate the new uh, Ecuadorian president. And apparently he's a little bit of a controversial figure. And uh, when he was, was first elected, uh, they had, uh, had some riots and some problems. And so they said we might want to change our motel location because it's going to be lots of crowds and maybe some rioting. And, and so we kind of got concerned about that. And, and so at the last minute, uh, we uh, changed motels and moved our motel location to down by the airport to the Wyndham Hotel at the airport. And uh, I don't know how it happened, but uh, somehow uh, we ended up on the top floor of the, of the motel in what I would consider their, their kind of the, the – for the, where they put the, the high rollers and the expensive people, and and uh, there was a, we walked down to the elevators. We we're going to go have, have have some lunch, and uh, there was a big display of food and stuff out there. And we were kind of looking at it, and uh, this lady walked by, and I uh, just another tourist, and I said, "Was this is this for free?" And and she said, "Well, I hope so. I've been eating it." And uh, <laughs> so we all chowed down, and uh, so we we had. A really uh, good experience at that motel. Was, uh, we had breakfast, lunch, and dinner there, and uh, all for free. And and uh, had uh, free beer if you wanted that, wine. Uh, so that that uh, it was kind of stressful having to make the move, but uh, turned out that uh, luckily for the for everybody there was no rioting as it turned out. But uh, we did have a good experience at, at the motel, at the, at the new motel, at the last minute. So that worked out pretty good. Yeah, I guess there was a time in our history here in the United States where the thought of uh, writing and problems during inaugurations or any other political thing was too far out for us to think about. I guess we don't feel that way so much over the last few decades or so. Uh, that, that's for sure. So am I understanding correct that the food you saw out there was laid out for the guests? It wasn't a special event. Yeah, yeah. No, it was just there for anybody that wanted it, that had access to that because you had to uh, have a, your room key to put in a little slot in the elevator to even get to that level. And uh, so uh, there was anybody on that level was free to, to have whatever they wanted there whenever they wanted it. And it was good food, nothing wrong with it. And, uh, you know, it, it was good, a good uh, display there. They had this one tropical fruit uh, 
I don't know, it's about the size of an ostrich egg, if you can imagine that, and kind of even shaped that way a little bit. And so I asked one of the, the people that worked there, I said, what, what is this? And he told me the name. I don't remember what it was now. And he said, you just crack it like an egg. And so I kind of tapped it on the table like a hard-boiled egg to break it open, and nothing happened. So then he took it and he showed me, and you just kind of hold it in your hand and use your, your thumbs and press the top down, and, just, and then the, the shell broke just like an egg would break. And you peel that off and then use a spoon and, and eat the stuff out of it. It had some uh, kind of a seeds coated in kind of some kind of gelatinous-like stuff. And it was actually quite tasty. Poor. So that good. that was that was a natural occurring thing. They, they hadn't made that. It was just naturally that way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're a minute away. Anybody else have a last-moment thought? Well, this is Ken again. I would just say uh, if you're interested in that trip, uh, like you said, XYHT Magazine has it in their August issue, and it is online now That on the XYHT website. Gavin Schrock wrote a real good article, and the online article has a lot more pictures than the print copy, so you can oh, good. go yeah. through the slides. So just people ought Excellent. to know that if they want to learn more about it. Okay. Sounds great. Well, again, thank you all for being with me and for your patience and diligence and and getting on, even though I I messed it up. But I really do appreciate you being with me. It's a great story that you have, and and hopefully it will spur you to further adventures down the road that you can come back and share with us all. So thanks so much for being on the show today. All right. You're welcome. You bet. Thank you, Kurt. Thanks, Kurt. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Quick stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. The AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.